Good evening. Today I have the lovely Penny with me. Hi, Penny. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you to everybody. Well, thank you to you to have me on and for everybody to watching this. And I'm Penny Batchelor. I'm the author of two thrillers. Um, probably they'll be described as domestic noir because they're about relationships and secrets and lies in families. And the second one, I've decided I'm calling it mum noir because it's about... Uh, motherhood, parenthood, and what happens when your worst nightmare as a parent comes true. Uh, I don't know when this interview is, is going to going out, but it's actually launched tomorrow, which is August the 5th. So by the time this goes out, it'll be in your bookshops, hopefully, on Amazon and in lots of indie bookshops and things. And pre-audible, just doing my little plug no it won't be pre-audible will it because it'll be out um i've just got to remember my marketing speak it will be audible from all your good bookshops it's all there on all the major online ones as well so uh would you like me to do a quick reading from my second yes please that would be fabulous okay i only got my copy was it yesterday or the day before no yesterday so it's actually amazing to hold it in my hands and I still can't really believe that this story that was just an idea in my head, marinating and these characters talking to me, is now a book. It's now something physical that you can pick up and it's going to be there forever. There's a copy in the British Library. Who knows, you know, <laughs> assuming that we all don't die from global warming or whatever or, you know, getting nuked by uh, aliens. 500 years time, somebody can find this. So that's quite amazing. So what I'd like to read is from the first chapter, because there are lots of twists and turns in the story. And if I read from later on, it might be giving away a plot point, which obviously I don't want to do. But it starts off with our main character, Audrey, who is in her mid to late 30s, and she's a mum of two children. I didn't turn my back on the pram for much longer than a snatched handful of seconds a few heartbeats but that was all the time it took for my five-year-old daughter Antonia to turn on her heel and dash after the fluttering wings of a yellow-breasted great tit in the local park seconds ordinary passage of time which on a regular day we don't think twice about the passing of or maybe even long to pass by more quickly a few of them however as every mother knows and fears is all it takes Antonia, I anxiously call out, don't run off. I let go of, my, of the pram's handles and try to walk as fast as I can to reach my daughter, who is heading in the direction of the trees, following her quarry. Come back. Oh, it's felt like such a long day, as if 24 hours have passed before 3.30pm. My voice cracks slightly when I try to prevent my usual sing-song mummy tone from turning into barbed impatience. Having short legs seems to make it more difficult today for me to catch up with my child, on whom my husband James and I always impress the importance of staying close by when venturing outside the home. Easy to say, isn't it? But not so simple for easily distracted children to do when something has caught their eye. Antonia turns when she hears her name, and I see the expression on her little flushed face betray her internal debate on whether to continue her wild bird chase or come back to me. I win. 
Antonia starts to do as she's told and run back to me when we both hear a shout coming from near the pond at the centre of the municipal park. Instinctively, I turn back to the pram, but it's not there. My heart beats ferociously and I sense the acrid taste of adrenaline in my mouth. For a split second, I'm frozen. I stare down towards the bottom of the path the three of us walk on nearly every day. A soggy, small, blonde figure is pulling a pram out of the shallow area of the pond. My pram. Time freezes into an icy shock until I scream Wilfred in fear. I reach for Antonia's gloved hand and pull her as quickly as I can towards the pond. Most of the water is surrounded by a low concrete wall adorned with the usual detritus of crisp packets and drinks cans. Visitors couldn't be bothered to put in a nearby litter bin. But this small area where ducks paddle and wait to be fed isn't. Instead, there is a little sorry patch of grass between the end of the paved sloping path and the brown sludge that the pond's waters gently lap against. It's okay, I've got the baby, shouts the soggy figure, a woman wearing a now wet hooded long black puffer jacket and bright peach lipstick that makes her resemble a portly penguin. The baby's all right. A high-pitched wail punctuates the end of the sentence. Wilfred expressing his, expressing his displeasure, a noise I've sighed at so many times in the middle of the night, but now couldn't be happier to hear. At last I reached a pram, dragging my daughter with one hand and stretching out for my son with another. Wilfred is still tucked in under the knitted patchwork blanket my mother-in-law made, made for him. He's safe. Oh, thank God he's alive and evidently still has good use of his lungs. What have I done? How can I have put him in danger? This little boy who means the world to us all. So there you go. That's the first two and a half pages. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Now I want to know what happens. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> well, it's a lot about sort of friendships and how well do you really know your friends? And so there's a lot of themes in there that uh, people who don't have children, I think, would be interested in as well. Uh, did you always want to be a writer? I did, um, but I was a bit of a cliche because I always wanted to be a writer. I've always loved books um, ever since I learned to read, been a voracious reader, and ever since I learned to write, was writing stories and things like that. But I did the classic mistake of not actually finishing anything, wanting to be a writer, but coming up with loads of plot ideas and first chapters and scribble bits here and there, but not actually finishing anything. And um, I did do quite a lot in my 20s. I tried to do a few romantic comedies because that was what I was reading at the time. And after we moved house, I sort of found all those manuscript books again. And then recycled them promptly because uh, I just thought, what a rubbish I was writing. I wasn't, um, I hadn't got my own voice. I was sort of copying the sort of stuff that I liked. Uh, so what I, what happened next was um, when I got to 40, oh no, you don't look like that. I hope that you're going to say now. <laughs> well, <laughs> when I turned 40, I thought um, it's now or never. And it's something that I really wanted to do. And I think fear was putting me off as well. Fear of not being very good. Because when you've got a goal and something that you really want to do, if you then find out you're a bit rubbish at it, it's sort of scary. So I signed up for a Faber Academy um, six-month online writing course, which was called Writing a Novel, 
the first six months. And it was um, lots of information on the practical stuff about writing a novel, about how to set it out and formatting and things like that, agents and how to submit. But then there was also some very good writing exercises to get you thinking about things like should you write in the present tense past tense first person third person have lots of narrators or just one tips like that um so on that course which i did in 2015 i did the first 15,000 words of my first book my perfect sister there you go um and it took me another few years actually to finish that off and rewriting and actually sitting down and putting the work in because writing 70 odd thousand words is quite hard <laughs> and you get to a point you think am I going to do it is this a load of rubbish imposter syndrome comes in but it's just about getting the words on the page and rewriting it and editing it and then I um, contacted lots of agents and some uh publishing companies and I was very fortunate that this, a small indie company called Red Door Press wanted to publish it so that was last year and My Perfect Sister was published May last year and then this her new best friend is it's not a sequel different story but yes this is out this month so very thrilled um, and what made you decide to go for that sort of noir genre um, in the end? I, well, I guess partly because that's what I like reading a lot of. And, and when you read a lot, I'm, I'm sure it's the same with you. You kind of pick up on the conventions of and, and what you like and what you don't and sort of tricks that authors use of, of way of setting things out. Some things you think that work, some things that you don't. So... It was that was actually the story that was in my head when I applied for the, the Faber course. We to get a place, we had to send the first chapter of a novel that we'd been working on, but it couldn't be the one that we were going to work on on the course. And I'd actually started a historical one based in Tudor times, which I'd written the first paragraph of, uh, chapter of, and I've not actually written very much more on that since. But it's just kind of just the way it went, that that was the, the story that was in my head at the time. Though I've got lots of ideas for other genres, like including the historical historical crime. I even challenged myself to think of a rom-com to see if I could actually think of something that wouldn't be a load of derivative drivel. And anyway, I plotted that out, but I haven't had time to, to write it yet. Um, but publishers, they say that when you a first published it's best to stick with the same genre for at least what five or six books because mm -hmm. that's what readers know you as and you start to build up from small roots sort of start to build up a, a following and a readership and that if I came out with something very different now it'd be like well but that's not a thriller I'm not, I'm not expecting that so that's why I'm carrying on with my thrillers and they're great great fun to write as well I can imagine. <laughs> um, and are there any of the characters based on you or anyone you know? No, I, I, I'm really careful to not use names that are people very close to me or in my family because I don't want anyone 
coming up to me and saying, all right, you know, they, I can't stand this character. He's horrible. And did you base him on me? Uh, there is one character, though, in Her New Best Friend. There's a character called Rob, who is Audrey's best friend from university. And he is loosely based on one of my best friends because he wanted to be in my novel. So it's not him as in the way he looks or the way he acts, but it's sort of what he what he does. He's very loyal to Audrey, and that is like my, my friend is too. Um, are there any secret jokes or messages or Easter eggs in your books that only a few people would understand? Easter egg? What's that? Is that some... It's like um, uh, something that um, you've put in there deliberately... Um, like a clue, I guess. I can't think of what the best way to describe no, it. But that's a good idea. That would be fun to do in the future. What like being bet to see if you can get a sentence in the novel or something. But <laughs> but no, there aren't. But if you want, I'm writing book three. So if you want to challenge me to put one in there, then please feel free and I'll have a go. <laughs> I'm not that um, intellectual, really. To <laughs> think of some you know cryptic clues but it does sound like good fun yeah um it's when I ask it's generally kind of 50 50 some people are like no and some people sort of smile and they're like yeah there's there's an incident that happened to them or something that you know only a few people would if they read it would go oh I remember that happening so I like the idea that there's stuff in there that certain people would laugh at and we'll just read it as nothing. It's the story. Oh, I think three. <laughs> um, have you had to do much research for your books? Um, my first one had a cancer storyline, so I had to do some research for that. Um, there is, I don't want to say what it is, but there is an issue in um, Her New Best Friend, which a few of my friends have had experience of. So it was talking to them, which gave me an idea for the novel. But again, don't want to give the game away. But as for, I mean, it's not historical. So as for historical research, or and it's not based on anybody, so I haven't had to do all that. And it, the, the first one's based in Yorkshire, which is where I grew up. The second one deliberately could be anywhere. It's the sort of, it, I deliberately didn't set it in one place. So people who read it could feel that, oh, that could be where I live. But also it made it easy for me because I didn't have to then, you know, make sure that I got a street in the right place or anything like that. Historical fiction is definitely harder work because I, the Tudor one that I, I started working on, I did loads of research and reading to start for that. But then you can end up down a rabbit hole because you start really worrying about what somebody might be wearing and then spend four hours on Google and going through all these websites researching Tudor fashions and is it that right for, you know, 1530 or is that right for 1520? So I haven't got time to do that <laughs> at the moment. So when you set it in the modern day, the, um, you know, you don't have those those issues. The, the only thing was in my first draft, I did put a reference to coronavirus in because I didn't know whether it would seem strange coming out after this all happened last year when it was, well, it's still happening now and the novel is set in present day, 
but my editor took it out because she said it might date it and also I think people don't want to be reminded of all that because the novel isn't about coronavirus so just take it out and just uh, let people use their imaginations as, as to when it's set. Yeah I've, I've heard a lot of arguments um, for and against that and and I've read books that include and don't include and Actually, I found that it doesn't really bother me either way. If it's in there, then it's in there, but it doesn't um, affect my enjoyment of the book at all, which um, is quite nice. Um, if you were to be transplanted into either of your books, which book would you choose? Well, I don't think it would be her new best friend. So I think I would go for my first book, My Perfect Sister, because I had great fun writing a, a character called uh, Pretty in there, P-R-I-T-I. Um, and she is the best friend of our heroine, Annie. And she, I, I wrote her as the best friend, sort of amalgamation of all my lovely friends, sort of all in one. And she's great. And her and Annie go out and have some really good fun nights out down the pub, having a laugh, supporting each other. So I guess I'd be transported into that, having a good old time with Pretty, who always got my back. <laughs> <laughs> and what um, has been your first, um, your most fun scene to write so far, and what's been the most difficult? Well, the most fun scene is a sex scene, actually, in her new best friend. Now, I normally really try and... You know, um, you know, on soap operas, because they're before nine o'clock, so they can't actually show people having sex. So they'll show them the night before, perhaps kissing, and then the next scene will be somebody coming down in a dressing gown for breakfast, sort of thing to intimate that what's gone on. So I, normally, because I, I'm quite embarrassed to write about sex scenes, and my mum's still with us, and she's going to read the book, and my dad. So, you know, <laughs> mum, I've made it all up. <laughs> <laughs> but I, there is a scene in here where a woman is trying to get a man drunk to have her way with him. And I actually spoke to my husband and I said, how can a woman get a man who doesn't normally drink very much drunk? And he said, lace his beer with vodka. So that's what I did. And then I, I wrote this scene about how she's, he's so drunk. I mean, it's quite dodgy, actually. Consent wise, it you know don't go it really is if if it was a man doing it to a woman it probably would be serious sexual assault but on the other way around it's um well it's, it's kind of up to the reader to perceive the morality of it but it was really good fun writing it actually that sounds awful I'm writing a dodgy scene and <laughs> but the whole thing about asking having fun asking my husband about how a woman could get a man drunk was was really good fun and the hardest was the ending, I think, because the ending changed in both my books, did change a few times. I had an idea for the ending when I started out, but as I kept writing and got to know my characters, I wanted that the ending didn't really fit. And also I wanted to make the ending more twisty. So it wasn't what you would expect. And with her new best friend, there was one character that I really got to like when I was writing it. So I almost wanted her to get away with it, but I knew 
in terms of the plot and fairness and everything and what a reader expects from a, a denouement, that, that that just wouldn't be right. And, and my editor agreed. She said, right, tone it down. <laughs> but I've left... Oh, I hope I can say this without giving anything away. But I've left it open enough so the reader can kind of imagine what they want to happen next. But, yeah, endings are difficult because some people like everything all tied up with a neat bow and uh, other people like like to sort of be wondering themselves and, and think more about the book when they finished it about what could happen. And there's also, you know, if you want a sequel, you've got to leave it open just enough. And there is kind of potential for a sequel in her new best friend. But I don't know whether I'd go there yet. I think I want to get on now. Book three, I'm writing a different story. But who knows if her new best friend is really popular and people say, yeah, I want to know what happens next. Then maybe maybe <laughs> I'll go back. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any fears or phobias and would you write about them or have you written about them? All fears or phobias. Um, I guess thriller writing is very much about confronting your own phobias because it's things that happen that don't generally happen in real life and that are quite frightening. So the opening thing that I read with Audrey and the fear of not putting the pram's brake on properly and endangering your baby. There's more things like that, but worse in the book. So I am kind of, they're not my personal fears as first, but they're, um, but they're all things that we, we might fear or things happening to our loved ones and things like that. I don't think I would put my own in there because that might be a little bit too personal and I wouldn't want anybody thinking, ah, this is Penny's phobia. Right, I'm going to go around her house and make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope people aren't that weird, but you never know, I guess. <laughs> well, I hope they wouldn't. But uh, you never know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, if you... spiders, but I've not written about spiders. I'm getting a bit better. I can just about get round to the putting a glass on top and sliding some cardboard and getting them outside rather than screaming for my husband. But, you know, I'm maturing. <laughs> yeah, maturing is overrated anyway. And <laughs> <laughs> um, have you made lots of author friends? Well, I have. I've been really, really lucky. Um, just when I signed my contract for my first book and it was, well, it was scheduled to come out uh, in May last year, and the ebook actually came out in April because, of course, coronavirus came. I had a was supposed to be having a launch party and it didn't happen. And the there was a problem with the printers because of lockdown and everything. So the books didn't we didn't get the books till a month later. And I joined a Facebook and Twitter group called the D20 Authors, which stands for W20. And Everybody in there has been so helpful and we have weekly Zoom calls on a Friday and the forum there on Facebook where we can all sort of support each other, celebrate each other's successes and also if you've got a problem with the, the plot or you're sort of feeling that you're never going to get to the end or something like that, there are people there to cheer you on and remind you that you're not the only one, that we're all going through the same thing. 
and I went to the Harrogate Crime Writing Festival um, in July. And I was very fortunate that I got to meet up with a few of them there. So it was lovely to meet up in real life as opposed to just seeing people on the screen. And I think it's really important because writing is a very solitary occupation and you can really just get stuck in your own head and you miss the, the sort of water cooler aspect of working in an office where you just go and chat to somebody for five minutes and say, you know, how's your weekend? What are you up to? And, or, oh, I'm a bit stuck on this, this bit of my work. Have you got any advice? And so the group sort of replicates that. I mean, book Twitter uh, is fantastic as well. So there are some authors that um, they're not in that group, but uh, I've sort of chatted with on Twitter and, I think everybody knows what it's like to start out in your career. Everybody's been in the same boat. And, um, well, everybody I've met has been or chatted to on Twitter has been really, really nice and supportive. It, it would be very weird not to be, wouldn't it? Because you don't want, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to put anybody's backs up or whatever. But everybody seems to be genuinely lovely. Yeah, I was, I was at Harrogate as well. I'm surprised we didn't bump into each other. <laughs> oh, well, I'm actually a wheelchair user, so you might have spotted me. I only saw three wheelchairs there, so mm. and I was one of them. So but if you go next year, I'll know what you look like now. So Yes. Yeah. Normally my hair is really pink as well, so usually people know who I am for that reason alone. <laughs> Did you have pink hair at Harrogate? Yes. Do you know, I might have seen you. I remember seeing a woman with lovely pink hair. So it probably was you, but I didn't know who you were then. Else I would have come up and bumped you on the ankles with my wheelchair and said, oh, you see, you can chat. Well, yeah, definitely next year then. I've, I've already booked my hotel to go next year because I loved it. So, yeah, it was awesome. Just sitting there drinking coffee and Ian Rankin walks past and says, good morning. It's just really weird. He said good morning to you. I went and um, my claim to fame is that I on the last day on the Sunday there was a Richard Osman talk and I went to that and then I I bought his I've read his book already but I bought the paperback for my mum as a a gift so I went and got him to sign it and you know I'm very short and I've got restricted growth and I went up to him and I said Richard I think we're the smallest and tallest people here and he said (laughs) well you've got to be good at something I was was sitting in the I was watching that and he said bless you to the person that was sitting next to me and then I asked him the last question did you oh well I wasn't I was in the digital tent rather than in the main one and I would not do that next week I did it because it was cheaper and but I think kind of missed out on the atmosphere of being in the same room really so next year I won't do that but Cool, good for you for asking. What was the question you asked? Um, well, he kept talking about uh, four books. Uh, so I asked if he was planning on carrying on writing after the four. And yes, was the answer. Basically, yeah. he said he wasn't, wasn't going to kill them all off on the fourth book. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I thought it was really funny as well that he said, um, well, Steven Spielberg is has got the film rights, but they've got to cast people who were a lot younger who were playing older. <laughs> yeah, so they all that's start. right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they get to the end of the fourth film. <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten about that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was fun. 
<laughs> um, and also, do you get a lot of feedback from your readers? Um, fun, yeah. Um, I uh, go to by Zoom to people's book groups. Um, so if anybody wants me to come along and if you're reading my book, get in touch with me via my website, which is pennybachelorlibertycouk um, There's a, a, a thing there to get in touch with me, a, a form thingy. Uh, so it's been really wonderful to join um, those and have people ask questions. And it's particularly interesting because they've read the book. And so when I'm doing talks like this, I, I can't talk about a lot of things because it's giving the plot away. But it's fascinating to think, to hear what people thought was going to happen or what they wanted to happen. And, and they, but it, sometimes people have pointed out things. They said, oh, I love it. How you sort of contrasted this with this. And I think, did I? <laughs> they pointed out things that I didn't think about when I was writing. And I've had some some really lovely feedback on twitter and things and oh just uh, sorry to do a plug again but on the website i do have a sign up form for my author mailing list and every time i send out a, a, a author email which has sort of got a bit about what i'm up to and writing advice and think i'm reading and stuff like that i randomly pick one subscriber to win a, a free signed copy of one of my books so if you're up for a freebie, then go on, sign up. Yeah, that's cool. And <laughs> um, what would you like to do when you're not writing? Well, I'd like time when I'm not writing at the moment. My husband and I have got a holiday booked in September and I cannot wait because I just spend... Like, writing, it's, one of the, it's not like a nine-to-five job. So there is no end point of the day really I'm very poor at setting boundaries that if an idea comes out I want to get it down on the page because sometimes I might be sitting in front of the computer and I'm a bit stuck and I just can't think of anything so I sort of go on Twitter or check my emails or do my Sainsbury's feed delivery or something um and then when inspiration hits I want to I want to do it so I want, I want to get on the page so I, I haven't had much free time um but when I go on holiday, I'm not taking my laptop. I am not going on social media. I'm going to take lots and lots of books that I want to read because I haven't had that much time to read for pleasure as opposed to read to give another author a quote or something like that. So, And I, I also like knitting. Um, I used to be a knitting blogger, but I don't really have the time to do that now. But I'm, I've got a couple of jumpers for winter that I've, I've got the wool, I've got the patterns for what I want to do. And just the usual, like, I um, I miss going to the cinema. I haven't been since well before um, lockdown. And catch up with my friends, my family, go to the pub, have a meal out, sit in coffee shops. Just not not to feel that there's something that you have to do. So that that's uh, that's what I like doing, really. Easily please, cheap date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same. <laughs> Um, if you were able to spend a day with any author dead or alive who would you like to spend a day with well I think it would have to be a dead one because um there's still the possibility that I might meet a live one so uh, I wouldn't rule that out somebody like um I'd love to meet Jane Austen we know very little 
sort of relatively very little about her because we've only got one portrait that her sister drew um pencil sketch so we don't really know what she actually totally looked like the same with the Brontes actually the Bronte sisters and Jane Austen I mean she was amazing because that was a time when women were not really supposed to write because it wasn't seen as a womanly thing to do and her family she wasn't she wasn't sort of dirt poor but her family they were trying to hold on to gentry status but um, still to the world to look like that they were of that level but they were really strapped for cash behind and her family deliberately reduced the duties that Jane was expected to do in towards the running of the house so she could write and just amazing what she managed to come up with in that time no sort of formal literary education or whatever and she's I think she would have been an amazing witch. She imagine get get a, a glass of wine in her. I could imagine that she'd be hilarious coming out with all these social <laughs> observations of other people. So yeah, I would like to go around round her house and actually meet her and find out what she was really like and have a chat about all her books and who she based Mr. Darcy on and things like that. That would be brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like fun actually. <laughs> And who would you most um, fan girl about meeting that's still alive? Sorry, can you repeat that, please? Who would you most fan girl over um, author-wise now? Well, I made a, a bit of a prat of myself at Harrogate the Crime Festival. There were some authors that I I I'd recognise, like um Erin Kelly and Paula Hawkins, Louise Candlish, all these thriller writers who I think are brilliant, but I was too chicken to go up and say hello, but um, there was Laura Shepherd Robinson there who writes sort of historical crime, and she was chatting to one of my friends, and so I sort of hovered, and then went, "Hi, I'm Penny. I love your books. You're A list. I'm Z list." And and I just thought, I can't believe I said that. And she sort of was very nice <laughs> and acted like she was used to strange people coming up to her all the time. It was fine. <laughs> Um, I mean, Margaret Atwood, it would be amazing to meet her, but I think I would be too much in awe, really. I mean, she's she's incredibly intelligent. I think I probably would just be tongue-tied. Um, who else would be really good to meet? I'd like to meet Maggie O'Farrell. I loved Hamnet um, that she wrote, and I can't believe that I never thought of it because I knew I, I'm quite into Shakespeare, and I knew that he'd had a son called Hamnet who died, but it never occurred to me to write a book about it. But of course, if I did it, it would not be a tenth as good as what she did because I, mine would be a thriller, more like, why did he die? How did he die? <laughs> Rather than sort of the amazing lyrical um, prose that she wrote and the sort of feminism and the mystical bits and um, and the... Oh, the such sadness at the end when well we know he dies so spoiler alert if you know your history Hamnet dies <laughs> yeah, I mean she was brilliant yeah I mean so many I'd love to meet so many writers but I think I'd just be sitting there having imposter syndrome really 
I know I was terrible as well. I mean, I I don't think that I'm particularly shy anymore. I used to be. Um, at Harrogate, suddenly all my courage just disappeared. It stayed back where I live, I think. And by the time I got to Yorkshire, it had gone. And I just wouldn't go to anyone. Ridiculous, really. But there we go. <laughs> I think it's also embarrassing when so there are some writers that I know straight away who they are, but I don't know much about the, the, the sort of more police procedural crime. Like I couldn't have said Mark uh, Mark Billingham, I couldn't have pointed him out in a room. So he could have come up and said, oh, hello, how are you? And I wouldn't have known, you know, I'd have just, oh, so what do you do? And then made a complete blog of myself. <laughs> that's another sort of thing to think about when you go so we go you really check out the lanyard and if it says like i'm appearing or something mm-hmm. then realize that you really just avoid any questions that might be embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> luckily um i've interviewed mark billingham um and he's awesome anyway but my friends and i said next year we're gonna do like a gallery of of pictures, you know, the author's face and their names, so that when we're looking around, we actually know who people are. Oh, please share that with me. Yeah, I need to speak to Please do. Yeah, because it is really embarrassing when you don't know. I mean, you know, there was a guy, there's a couple of times I recognise someone's face. I'm like, who is that? So I had to ask someone else, and they're like, it's such and such. I'm like, oh, of course it is. Oh God, it's so embarrassing. So yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if you because sometimes I think, is that a friend of my mum's? Or did I go to school <laughs> with them? Or and you just can't. I mean, once I saw Anne Robinson, who's you know the weakest link, and I kind of thought, is she a friend of my mum's? Well, be, yeah, I recognised her, but I didn't know why. And and so I thought, well, it would be rude not to acknowledge her if I do know. I said, hello. And then she looked at me with this withering, who the heck are you and why are you talking to me kind of look? And I just thought, okay, move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I can imagine that look actually. Like, okay, sorry. (laughs) Terrifying. (laughs) Who was your first celebrity crush? My first what crush, sorry? Celebrity crush. Celebrity crush. Hmm. Well, when I was really young, I used to like spending time, you know, with my dad, a bit of a daddy's girl. My dad loved Question of Sport. And there was a chap on there. I think he was a Welsh rugby player. So I, I liked him. And I think it was just because he was very dad-like. And then when Philip Schofield sort of came in the, was it in the broom cupboard or something? I kind of had a crush on him, but I was too young. I liked him, but I was sort of too young for it to be a war kind of crush. <laughs> but then I, I really got into Wham, so I really did like George Michael. Um, uh, so all, all the usual kind of film star, Tom Cruise, when he was younger, I did like him. Oh, and people on Neighbours, Mike on Neighbours, and the other one who was on Neighbours, who... Jason Donovan, you know, or uh, probably the same as anybody who's my age kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I went to a festival near me and Jason Donovan was appearing um, and I was at the front because I was on my own anyway. And uh, I was surprised that I remembered all the words of all the songs. I didn't think I would because it was a long time ago, but 
and he was he was awesome I, I loved it it was wearing a all white white jeans and a white shirt and the girls were screaming quite loud ah. so we still got it <laughs> a friend of mine was massively massively into him and for her 40th we took her as a surprise because he was appearing at our local theatre and he, he did a little bit of singing with the guitar but it was more bit of a sort of comedy show and talking about his life and yeah I thought yeah still would (laughs) 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 at least he hasn't turned out gay like the other two I suppose I mean it's uh (laughs) you don't have a gay dar do you when you're (laughs) when you're a teenager (laughs) you don't really really know and good on them but it's kind of yeah all right yeah Mustn't put my energy into that then, because it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's because of that. It's not because, you know, they're famous and they wouldn't look twice at us anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't think I have any more questions for you, unless you think there's anything that I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. Don't think. Uh, no, I don't think there is. I mean, I've really enjoyed our chat. Um, just thank you to everybody for watching. And if you do have any questions, uh, get in touch with me on Twitter. I am at Penny underscore author. And on Facebook, I am at Penny author. Um, so, yeah, just send me a tweet or whatever. And I am available to do Zoom evening book group chats. So if anybody would like that, then then uh, yeah, get in touch. Awesome. Yep, I'll, uh, I'll put that in the comments as well when I post this as well. And thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Same here. <laughs>